we serve the God who breathed and stars came into existence. We serve the God who split the Red Sea and the nation of Israel walked across on dry land. We serve a God who raises up dead people and heals blinded eyes and causes deaf ears to hear and casts out demons. We serve the God of the universe, the omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God that we read about on the pages of the Bible. He does not need me. I've come to the realization God can get along just fine without Israel Price. And I want to let you in on something. It's going to humble you and it's going to help you. He can get along just fine without you. See, he don't need us. But the good news is he wants us. Now, why is that such a blessing? See, if God needs me, then the basis of our relationship is based upon what I can do for him. But if he wants me, the basis of our relationship is based upon who he is and what he's done for me. He wants me. He wants you. What a blessing that truly is, man. And I'm so thankful this morning. He's always been faithful. Aren't you? Can anybody testify to the fact this morning that God has been faithful to you? If you will, say amen. He's been faithful in providing for us. He's been faithful in protecting us. He's been faithful to do exactly what he has promised. Every step of the way, even though I've been unfaithful many times, he's always been faithful to me. Even though I failed him many times daily, he's always been faithful to me. Regardless of my failure, he's faithful. Why? Because he's good. And he's loving, and he's merciful, and he's gracious. How good God is this morning. Take your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter number 16. Let me ask you a question. Do you want to be a part of something exciting? I don't know about you, but if I'm going to be a part of something, I want to be excited about it. If I'm not excited about it, if I'm not fired up about it, then it's really hard for me to stay involved in it. I don't want to go through the motions in anything that I do, whether it be at my workplace, in any sphere of my life, at my workplace, in my home, at my church. I want to be excited about what's going on. If I'm not passionate about it, then I kind of want, why do it? I want to be a part of something exciting. Let me ask you this question. Do you want to be a part of something expedient? He said, Roger, what do you mean by expedient? I'm talking about something that's needed right now. See, if, if I'm going to be a part of something, I want to be a part of something that's going to make a difference in the areas that we need it to make a difference right now. Not tomorrow, not next month, not next week, not next year, but right now. I want to be a part of something expedient. Let me ask you this. Do you want to be a part of something eternal? I'm talking about something that has eternal value. I've heard it said that the most um, unsuccessful person that you can think of is the person that is successful in all the things God cares nothing about. That's pretty good. I believe that. Listen to me. I want to be a part of something that has eternal value, not something that simply has temporal value that's here one minute and gone the next that can be taken away. I want to be a part of something Eternal. Well, if you've answered yes to those questions, then, my friend, you need to be a part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you why. Because the church is certainly, this morning, eternal. How many of you believe that? It's eternal. It has eternal value. When you become a part of the church through faith in Christ, listen to me now, that changes your eternity. See, the truth is, in a hundred years, it's not going to matter. Not a lot's going to matter in a hundred years. Your bank account is not going to matter in a hundred years. The house you live in, it's not going to matter in a hundred years. The car you drive, it's not going to matter in a hundred years. Whether or not Alabama goes undefeated this season, it's not going to matter in a hundred years. 
Now, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. I, hey, I, I'm all, hey, make all the money you can make. Buy the house you want to buy. Drive the car you want to drive. We live in a country that gives us the freedom to do that. Praise God. So go get it. It's there for you. I'm just saying those things don't have eternal value. What's going to matter in 100 years is whether or not I'm a part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the church is eternal. How many of you know the church is expedient? It's, it's needed right now more than ever. Oh, listen, the church is the hands and feet of Jesus. It's the body of Christ, Him being the head, making a difference in a lost and dying world for the kingdom of God. It's expedient. We need to be the church. I'm not asking you to come to church. I'm glad you come to church this morning. Hey, let me let, me let you invite somebody that's not here this morning that should be here and tell them they need to be in church. Yeah, I saw a church sign the other day that said, Visitors welcome, members expected. That's kind of how I feel too. If you're going to be a member of the church, you need to be loyal to your church. Hey, you need, you need to come with expectation, realizing you're expected to be here. We need you. God put you here for a purpose. And we're going to talk about all that. I'm just saying it's expedient now. We need to be about God's business now, being the church. But listen, it's exciting. Let me tell you why. Because we get to be a part of what God is doing. We get to be a part of changing the lives and the eternity of people that's on their way to a devil's hell. That's exciting. When you see God do what only God can do. I'm talking about save souls, break addictions, heal families, do things that only God can do. Man, there's nothing more exciting than that. Nothing more powerful than that. So I've said all that to say this. For the next few weeks, we're going to be preaching on a series of messages on the work of the church, what it is, what it does, the purpose of why we've been made a part of the church as believers. This morning, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 13. Now look what this says, Matthew 16, 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that the Son of Man am? And they said unto him, Some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Now look at verse number 16. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven, and I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not, shall not, shall not prevail against it. If you believe it, say amen this morning. He says in, in verse 19, And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Let's pray together before we get into the message. Father, we love you. Lord, we need you. I can do nothing without you. I'm asking, Lord, that you move me behind the cross and use me by your power this morning, Holy Spirit, to speak your truth that changes lives. Convict where conviction is needed, we pray. Lord, I'm praying that you comfort where comfort is needed. You are the God of all comfort. You are the Prince of Peace. You are our Savior, and if there be one here that needs saving, we pray today be the day in Jesus' name. Amen. Now listen, this morning when I'm talking about the church, and for the next four weeks as I'm talking about the church, I'm talking about the church as a whole. I'm not just talking about Mount Zion Baptist Church. Amen. 
I'm not just talking about a certain church or a certain denomination. Don't get me wrong. I'm thankful for Mount Zion Baptist Church. I praise God for Mount Zion Baptist Church. I'm so thankful that God has given me a place to share His truth with people who love me. I, I praise God for you. I see you as my family in Jesus. You are my brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you know that if the blood of Christ has been applied to your heart and life by faith, and the blood of Christ has been applied to my heart and life by faith, that we are now blood kin? <laughs> We are brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, that's how I see you. I love you. I'm thankful for my church. Let me tell you this. I'm glad I'm a part of this church. I really am. But I'm not in the business of comparing churches. I think we can, we can get in a lot of trouble doing that. I think that that can hurt more than it can help. Because the truth is there are no perfect churches. Can you say amen? I mean, listen, we're still working on some stuff. God's still working on me. If you're looking for a perfect church or a perfect pastor, you have not found it. But if you are looking for a church that is seeking Jesus, if you are looking for a pastor who needs Jesus every day just like you need Jesus, who realizes the grace of God that's been given in Christ, listen, who knows that God has given us His truth by His Word, truth that will set us free, I'm telling you, then you found the right place. We believe in the truth of the Word of God. We believe in the power of God to change lives. But we realize God's still working on us. So I'm not in the business of comparison. That's not what I'm trying to do in these messages. I heard a story one time about two brothers. And these two brothers were rascals, I'm telling you. They were liars and cheats, thieves, and just, just weren't good people at all. They were wicked men. But they were always arguing about who was the worst and who was the best. And so one day, one of the brothers died. And the brother that was still living went to the local pastor there in the community and he said, Pastor, I'm going to give you $1,000 if you'll preach my brother's sermon. But you've got to say one thing. Under one condition, the pastor said, well, what's that? He said, you've got to say that my brother is a saint. And the pastor said, thought about it for a minute. He said, well, right, I can do that. So he came uh, and preached the, the funeral of the man's brother. And he stands up to preach. He said, I'm just going to be truthful with you this morning. I'm going to be transparent with you and tell you that the man laying before us in this coffin, he was a wicked man. He was a liar and a cheat and he was a thief. But I'm going to tell you something. Compared to his brother, he is a saint. <laughs> we get in the business when we start, well, we're getting in the wrong business when we start comparing one church to another. That's not my purpose. My purpose is for us to take the standard of the Word of God and hold our church up to that. My standard is not somebody else, what they do, what they think, how they preach, what they sing, what they wear. That's not my standard. Let me tell you what my standard is, what your standard is, what our standard is as the church. It's the Word of God. So we're going to take the blessed Word of God, the powerful Word of God, and we're going to see what the church really is, what its work's all about. There's six things that I want to give you this morning. I'm going to do them fast. You'll listen fast. I'll talk fast. We'll be, we'll be done in just a moment. But the first thing that I want you to see right here in Matthew chapter 16 is the faith of the church. The faith of the church. Jesus asked something in verse 15. He said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? What a question. This is a question that I must answer. And this is a question that you must answer that I want to ask you. Who do you say Jesus is? I'm not uh, this morning asking you to tell me what Brother Israel thinks Jesus is or what the uh, doctrinal statement of Mount Zion Baptist Church, that what we think Jesus is. I'm asking you this question. Who do you say Jesus is? Who is he to you? 
I'm not asking what your mama thought about Jesus or what your daddy or grandpa thought about Jesus. Who do you say Jesus is? Is Jesus real to you? See, what I say about Jesus has no bearing on your relationship with him. And what you say about Jesus has no bearing on my relationship with him. This is about a personal, everybody say personal. This is about a personal relationship with Christ. A personal faith in him. Now, there's three things that I want to give you under this first point. First of all, I want you to see the personal conviction of Peter. The personal conviction. He says there in verse number 16, And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. What a blessing. Peter had a personal conviction, a personal belief. Now, we've all heard it, and it's true that the Bible says, For whosoever believes on Jesus shall be saved you got to believe on Christ. You've got to have a personal conviction. But now let me give you what the word believe, as it's used in Scripture, means and what it don't mean. Believe really means more of trust and surrender than it just means you know the facts and the figures. When you think believe, when you're talking about Biblical, saving, believing faith. When you're talking about that, we're talking about trust and surrender. It's more than just knowing who Jesus is and what he did. A lot of people say, well, I know that there was a Jesus, and I know he lived and had 12 disciples, and I know he did miracles, and I know he went to the cross, and I know he died, he died there and rose again the, the third day. I know these things, but there's a difference in having that head knowledge and a heart knowledge. There really is. Pastor Adrian Rogers, one of my heroes of the faith, he always said that the distance for hell, uh, the distance to hell for most people is about 18 inches. That's the distance between their head and their heart. They have a head knowledge of who Jesus is, but it's never made a difference in their heart. It's never changed them from the inside out. And so when we're talking about biblical faith, saving faith, we're talking about trust and surrender. Let's, let's deal with trust. What are we trusting in? We're trusting in the finished work of Jesus for our sins to be forgiven and us to be made right with God. We're trusting in his perfect birth, his perfect life, his sacrificial death. Listen, and his resurrection, the truth of the gospel. That we're trusting in that for our sins to be forgiven. That what he did was enough. And the Bible says, when we place faith in Jesus, his righteousness is imputed unto us. Somebody say amen, you need to. Righteousness that I could not attain by my own self-righteous works, I can receive by faith in Jesus. Righteousness that makes me right with God the Father. Praise the Lord. So we trust in that. But let me tell you something else. It's also about surrender. When you believe on Jesus, it's about you surrendering to the lordship of Christ in your life. It's no longer about what I want. Now it's about what he wants because he's my Lord. He's my master. It's no longer about what I say, what I believe. It's what he says, what he believes. He's my master. I go where he says go. I do what he says do. I don't do what he says don't do. Why? Because I've surrendered to him. That's biblical saving faith. He said, Brother, I thought the Bible said just believe. Well, yeah, it does, but 
It's more than just that head knowledge. See, the book of James makes it very, very plain. The book of James tells us that the demons themselves believe that there's one God. They believe, and the Bible says they tremble. Now, what's that mean? Brother, if you will, please put that on the screen. It's in James chapter, um, let me make sure I get this right. I don't want to tell you wrong. James chapter number three, I believe. <clears throat> and let's look down at verse number, James chapter two and verse number 19. Put that on the screen for me. James puts it like this. He said, believest that there is one God, thou doest well. But with the devils, they also believe and they tremble. So what's he saying? He said even the demons believed that there was a Jesus. The demons believed that he was born of a virgin. The demons believed that he lived a perfect life and did a bunch of miracles. The demons believed that he went to the cross. The demons believed that he went to the tomb. And the demons believed that he resurrected. Do you believe that? The demons believed that. But how, how many demons are saved? All the demons have a head knowledge of who Jesus is. But zero demons are a part of the family of God. Why? Because saving faith is more than just a head knowledge. It's about a personal conviction, a personal belief where you trust in the finished work of Jesus and surrender to the lordship of Jesus. Peter had a personal conviction. He forsook all and followed Christ. Can you say amen? And he did it because he believed he was the Christ. The Son of God. we got to have a personal conviction just like him, but let me give you another one. Not only do you need a personal conviction, a personal belief, but you need a public confession. You know what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse number 33? He said that if you're ashamed of him before men, he'll be ashamed of you before his heavenly Father. Do you know what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 1.16? He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, for it's by the gospel that he received eternal life, that he was born again into God's family. Do you know what the Bible says in Romans 10.11, that if you truly believe, you shall not be ashamed? It's important that you publicly confess faith in Christ. If you're not going to stand for him now, when are you going to stand for him? Personal conviction, public confession, but let me tell you this. You also need a personal conversion. And I love this part. Look with me, if you will, down in Matthew chapter number 16 at what happens here in verse number 17. Pay close attention to what the Bible tells us. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. Now, when he says Simon Barjona, he's just saying Simon, son of Jonah, or son of John. If we were saying it in the English, we'd just say Simon Johnson. Blessed art you, Simon Johnson. That's what he's saying. Then he says this, watch. For flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I also say unto thee that thou art Peter. Everybody say Peter. Peter in the Greek is the word Petros. P-E-T-R-O-S if you're taking notes. It's the Greek word that actually means a large boulder, a big rock. Simon, if you look it up, you're going to see that it means an unstable place. Now what has happened? Because of Peter's personal conviction, because of Peter's public confession, now you have a personal conversion. You have Peter going from Simon, who is an unstable place, to Peter, who is a large rock. Are you getting it? There was a change that took place. 
There was a change in Peter because of faith in Jesus. And there must be a change in us because of a faith in Jesus. Now listen to me. If your faith in Christ does not change you, you need to get another faith. You say, well, brother, let me tell you something. Now, I don't got a testimony like other people have testimonies. I hear people say this all the time. I mean, I, I wish I had a testimony like so-and-so because they was a drug addict and they was an adulterer and they uh, went to prison and they'd done all this stuff they shouldn't have done. And then all of a sudden, God, by his grace, brought them back to himself. That's not my testimony, they say. And they say, well, I was saved at 8, 9, 10 years old. I've been in church pretty much my whole life. Let me tell you this. Now, let, 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 let me get a, don't you get a hold of it. Don't let Satan steal the power of your testimony. Do you know? It took just as much blood to save you as it did to save the drug addict. It took just as much power to save you as it did the adulterer. It took just as much power to save you as it did the axe murderer. There's, axe murderers usually don't come to places like this, but if you're here this morning, you're an axe murderer, God's grace is available for you. I'm just saying not everybody's axe murderers. But I am saying this, no matter who you are or what you've done, when Jesus really becomes real to you and there's a personal conversion, there'll be a change in your life. You may have been saved at an early age, didn't have a whole lot of time, do a whole lot of sinning. You were still a sinner who needed saved, you just hadn't done a whole lot of sinning yet. But let me tell you what God will do when he truly saves you when there's a conversion that takes place. He'll put peace in your heart. Peace that wouldn't there because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. I'll be honest with you folks this morning. I, there were times in my life when I would lay awake at night and tremble in fear knowing I wasn't ready to meet the Lord. I was so scared because I knew if I died before I woke up the next morning I was going to go to hell. I knew it. I'd heard the truth preached and God had convicted my heart and I knew it wasn't right. I'm thankful this morning because of faith in Jesus, trust and surrender in, to Christ. But when, when that personal conversion happened with me, folks, I got peace for dying. Amen. I'm going to tell you this morning, one of these days you're going to hear that Israel Price has died, but don't you believe it. Don't you believe it for a minute because at that moment I'm going to be more alive than I've ever been before. For me, as a child of God, Death is little more than changing addresses. My last breath on earth will be followed by my first breath in glory. I'll be in the presence of God. I've got peace for dying this morning. Let me tell you something else. I've got peace for living. Well, we live in an uncertain, shaky world, don't we? Aren't you thankful we've got the firm foundation of the rock of ages to stand on? Me too. He gives you peace in your heart. Let me tell you something else. He'll put love in your heart. Man, when Jesus saved me, I started loving people I shouldn't love. I started loving people I used to hate. Matter of fact, I had to go back to a lot of people and say, Man, I am so sorry for what I've done to you. I wronged you. I was wrong. It broke my heart. I'm talking about people who loved me and, and had been good to me, and I was bad to them. And I just went back and said, Please forgive me. God's changed me, and I'm asking for your forgiveness. God put love in my heart, brothers and sisters. Personal conversion. I'm talking about saving faith. I'm talking about the faith of the church. Amen? Now listen, you know, not only do you need to see the faith of the church, but also this morning, go back to Matthew 16. You need to see, uh, folks, something that I love here 
the formation of the church. Matthew chapter 16 and verse number 18. Look how Jesus puts this. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Who's speaking? What, what color are the letters you're reading? Red. So if it's red letters, who's speaking? And so Jesus speaking here says, I will build my church. Well, praise the Lord. I am so glad of that. Aren't you? That, I'm telling you, that, that jet right there frees me up as a pastor for so long, I would worry myself sick to the bone. I'm talking about literally make myself sick worrying about what people were going to do and what they weren't going to do. Who was going to get saved? Who wasn't going to get saved? Who was going to get faithful? Who wasn't going to get faithful? Who was going to be on fire for Jesus? And who wasn't going to be on fire for Jesus? Because I, I would worry about it. I'd want to see things happen. I want to see the church move. I want to see the church grow. And it would worry me sick. And then finally God showed me it's not my church. It's not my church. It's his church. Jesus said, I will build my church. I don't build the church. I get to be a part of it. Praise God for that. I get to preach the gospel. Praise the Lord for that. It's through the preaching of the gospel and the work of the Holy Spirit that, listen, souls are saved. And so I'm glad I get to be a part of it, but it's not my church. And it's not your church. It's his church. And because it's his church, he'll build it right. He forms it. He forms it. Acts 2.47, the Bible says that after the preaching on the day of Pentecost, when Peter preached and 3,000 souls got saved, they continued in one accord in the doctrine of the apostles, of breaking in bread and in prayer. And the Bible says in Acts 2.47 that the Lord added to the church such as should be saved. He forms the church. Jesus said, I will build it. You need to see the faith of the church, the formation of the church, but let me give you this one. You've got to see, you've got to see this morning what the Bible tells us in verse number 17. And Jesus answered unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath revealed it to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto you that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. The foundation. Of the church. A lot of people think that when Jesus said, you are Peter and upon this rock I'll build my church, that the church is built on Peter. Let me tell you something, folks. If the church is built on Peter, we're all in bad shape. Why? Because I, I, we, I preached to you last week that Peter was the one who denied the Lord three times. You remember that? How the, Jesus set him straight in John 21 on the Sea of Galilee? Peter was just a man like we're men. Peter, the, the church is not built upon Peter. What Jesus does here is make a play on words. Notice what he says, verse number 18. You've got to get this. He said unto them, Thou art Peter. Now, what does Peter mean? Petros. A rock like a boulder. And then he says this, watch. And upon this rock, now when he says rock here, he uses a different word. He goes from using Petros, which means Peter, a rock like a boulder, to Petra, P-E-T-R-A. It's a different Greek word. The word Petra means a rock of foundation, like a mountain, <laughs> like bedrock that you build a building on. Now what Jesus is saying is he's not going to build his church on Peter. He's going to build his church on the truth, the statement of faith that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. So the church is not built on Peter, it's built on Jesus. Can you say amen? How do I know that? How many know the best commentary on the Word of God is the Word of God? 
Now, take your Bibles and turn with me, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Look over there what Paul says. This is good commentary on what is happening with Peter here in Matthew 16. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, and look at verse number 11. He says, For there's no other foundation that no man can lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So who is the foundation of the church? Jesus. Jesus is the foundation of the church. He is the chief cornerstone that's been rejected by the builders. Rejected by the builders, but chosen by God the Father. Amen? For those of you who were here for a book of Romans study, you remember that lesson. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Now listen to me. He's the foundation. He's where everything begins. It's because of him the church is still standing and will stand. Right after I graduated high school, I spent about six or eight months with a man pouring cement. My job was to help with the cement slabs they poured or to mix mud when we were doing block houses or laying block for basements or retaining walls or whatever. Let me tell you something I found out about concrete work. Concrete work won't make you look for a job. Concrete work will make you find a job. And praise God, I found another job. Now, I'm glad for those who do the work, but that is some hard, hard work. But one thing I figured out, when you're laying block. If you're going to do it right and make everything straight like it needs to be, you've got to get your corner right. If you don't get the corner right, the building's going to be out of square. You start getting your corner right, just how you want the building to sit, and then you pull a line from that corner and lay all the other rock, all the other brick, according to the line you've pulled on the corner. If you don't, you're going to have a messed up building, a building that will not stand when times get tough. But you got to get your corner right. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. He is the foundation. If you got it, say you got it. All right. Now, I want you to see the, the faith of the church and the formation of the church and the foundation of the church. Let me give you this one. I also want you to see this morning the fellowship of the church. The fellowship of the church. Now, I think Peter got what Jesus was saying here. Let me tell you how I know it, because he wrote about it. Go to 1 Peter chapter number 2, just a moment. 1 Peter chapter 2. And look down at verse number, let's just start at verse number 4. Let's just start at verse number 1. All of it's good. But he says in verse number one, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babies desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if so be that you have taste of the Lord and he is gracious. Now look at verse four. To whom coming as unto a living stone. Everybody say a living stone. Jesus came, what he's saying, as the living stone, the cornerstone. It was disallowed indeed of men. His own people received him not. They, they didn't trust him as the Chief cornerstone. It was disallowed indeed of men, but watch. But chosen of God, and this living stone is precious. 
Now watch what Peter says in verse number 5. Ye also, as lively stones, are built upon a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. I want everybody this morning to say at one time, living stones. Now this is going to blow your mind. This is good. If you're building a block building or a rock house, and you've got one rock laying out there in the yard all by itself. Is it very impressive? You're going to be able to live in that? Is it going to keep you dry when the rains fall or cool when the sun gets high in the sky? Is it? If you just got one old rock laying out there in the field? What happens if you get that chief cornerstone right and you start stacking those rocks and placing them exactly where they need to be so that you can have a house to live in. What if that happens? Well, that changes everything, doesn't it? How I many know you can go over and you can take that one rock, pick it up, move it, shove it around, do whatever you want, but you can't shove the house around, can you? You can take that one rock and roll it down a hill, but it's going to be hard to roll the house down a hill. What I'm saying is there's strength and stability when God builds his house, and he builds his house with living stone. Jesus being the first living stone, the chief cornerstone, we then become living stones who have trusted in him. That's why the Bible says, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 16, you know what it tells us? That we are now the temple of God. Somebody say, praise Jesus. I'm telling you, you are the temple of God. What is the temple? It's where God dwells. Everybody who's placed faith in Christ and been born again into God's family has now been indwelled by the precious Holy Spirit. That's why Paul says we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We have now become living stones that God stacks and builds together to make up a spiritual house. Now, I've got some great news for you. This stuff here. Everybody hear that? That's not the church. This roof's not the church. These walls are not the church. This carpet, bless God, is not the church. So glad of that. I've had people come to me, Brother Israel, they kids everywhere. And they spilling stuff in the carpet and staining it up. Well, bless God. If you don't want kids, you can have clean carpet. If you want kids, I'll deal with dirty carpet. I'll get us some cleaner and we'll clean the carpet and have a mission project and do a work day. And we'll get in here and serve Jesus and clean it up. What I'm telling you is, don't get so hung up on this building. For this is not the church. Are we going to respect it? Yes. Are we going to teach our kids to respect it? Absolutely. But you've got to remember, this is not the church. One day this building will pass away. This is only the sheep shed. That's it. This is a shed for sheep. This is a barn. You are the sheep in the fold who have come through the door of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is only the shed we come to meet in. This is the church house. It's not the church. We are the church. We are the living stones that God has put together. Amen? Now, why is that so good? 
We are built together, but let me tell you something else. We're bound together. How are we bound? By the love of Jesus. We're going to get to this later, but we're going to see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that when one member hurts, we all hurt. When one's happy, we're all happy. Why? Because we're members of one body. We're living stones in one building. We're in this thing together. If I need you, you're going to be there for me. Praise the Lord. Somebody say amen. Now, if you need me, I'm going to be there for you. Amen. We're in this together. If you're hurting, I'm going to hurt with you. If you're crying, I'm going to cry with you. If you're laughing, I'm going to laugh with you. Why? Because we're in this together. We are bound together because I love you and you love me because Christ loved us. And the love of Christ has been shed abroad in our hearts by the person of the Holy Spirit. And if we know the love of Jesus, then we show the love of Jesus. So we fix food for people who are sick. I knew some of you ladies have been doing that. Praise God for that. We come together and enjoy fellowship, breaking bread together as the body of Christ. Why do we do that? Because we love one another, want to hang out with one another. We play cornhole tournaments and, 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 and have firework shows. Why are we doing all that stuff? Well, part of it is evangelism. That's, that's true, man. I want to reach out into the community and, and see how many people we can get here so we can love on them and show them what Jesus looks like. But also, I want to hang out with you. Why? Because you're my brother in Christ, and I love you, and you love me, and we're in this together. Are you getting this? That's why the, the Bible says in Acts chapter 2 that they continued in the apostles' doctrine, with breaking of bread and in prayer. They had all things coming. They just came together and, man, if you needed something, I was going to help you. And if you needed something, I was going to help you. And if I needed something, you was going to help me. I mean, that's how this thing works. The sweet fellowship of the church. I'm so thankful I'm a part of the body of Christ. Let me tell you why. I've got brothers and sisters in Christ that I know right now. I could call you up at any time of the day and say, I need you, and you'd be here for me. Are y'all here when I'm... I, I'm telling you, I know that I've got brothers and sisters in Jesus that if I called up any time of the night and said, I need you, you'd be there for me. And you know what? I'd be there for you. Why? Because we're bound together in the love of Christ. That's how this works. We're built together. We're bound together. Listen to me now. Jesus is the foundation. We have fellowship. Praise God. See, the faith of the church, the formation of the church, the foundation of the church, the fellowship of the church. Let me give you this one. See the future of the church. Back in Acts, or Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. There's a lot of people saying today that the church is about done. It's over with, that it's never going to be what it used to be. I don't believe that. I don't believe that for a minute. A lot of people say the church is about out of here. I agree with that. We're going to move on and before long, we'll probably move up. Can you say amen? Jesus is going to come back and bring us with him where he's going. That where he is, we may be also. He's going to call us to himself in his second coming, and I'm looking forward to that day. But I'm going to tell you something. There is no power in hell that's going to come against and defeat his church. It's eternal. It's eternal. We're two or three. I'm going to tell you something. I, I'm praying and I'm hoping that God gives us 3,000 to preach to. And if we got 3,000 to preach to, I'm going to preach to them by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to love one another, be bound together by the love of Christ. But I'm going to tell you something. If we got three, I'm going to preach to them too. Amen. I'm going to love them. The church will go on.
The future of the church is certain. Jesus is going to take care of us. Let me give you something else and I'm done. The function of the church. The function of the church. Watch, watch what the Bible says here. Matthew chapter 16, verse number 19. He said to Peter, And I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He said, I'm going to give you the keys. What does it mean when you've got a handful of keys? A ring full of keys. You see somebody with a ring full of keys? You know that person has some authority. That person has some responsibility. Right? I like being around guys that's got a ring full of keys. You can learn a lot from them. Now what's Jesus saying right here? Jesus is saying, Peter, because the Holy Spirit, God the Father has revealed this truth to you, I'm giving you some authority. It's not your authority, it's my authority. But because you've trusted in me, I give it to you. I'm going to give you some authority, I'm going to give you some responsibility, and now the function of the blood-bought, Bible-believing, body of Christ is to go forth and build the church, not by our power or our authority, but by His. Amen? He has the power. He builds the church. We get to be a part of it. That's our function. What a function it is. Do you want to be a part of something exciting? Man, get involved in the church. Get involved in what God's doing. Find out what God's doing, where God's moving, and go there. Amen? You want to be excited, a part of something expedient that's needed right now? Well, get involved in the church. You want to be a part of something eternal? Get involved in the church. Man, so thankful God's allowed me to be a part of his church. Everybody stand together. Brother, what's that song you sang this morning in our devotion time? What'd you sing? Sing that for us. Let me tell you something I love about this scripture. At the time that Peter makes this great profession of faith, he has now been following Jesus about three years. He's heard the preaching daily of Jesus. He saw the miracles daily that Jesus is doing. He's been around the best preacher the world's ever known and seen miracles that only God can do. But you know what Jesus said? He said, Peter, this wasn't through flesh and blood. Flesh and blood didn't give this to you. Your intellect and your ability did not give this to you. He said, but what's been given to you came from God the Father through the person of the Holy Spirit. God's made this real to you. I've preached the gospel, man, and seen... <clears throat> People, time upon time upon time, reject the message of Jesus, reject the message of the gospel. And all of a sudden, it just clicked, just like that. And many times I've wondered, why didn't that happen years ago? I preached to a man when I was at Union Chapel down in Lamar County. I preached to him for eight years. And Sunday after Sunday, I'd see the Lord deal with his heart, and he had never come and trust in Jesus. And then right before we left, eight years into it, one Sunday he came and trusted in Christ and got saved. I thought, why did it take so long? I've been preaching the same message. I'll tell you why. It don't come by flesh and blood. To truly be born again, I, don't, I can't talk you into it. 
I can give you the truth, but it's a work of God the Holy Spirit that brings this truth and makes it real to your heart. Now maybe, just maybe, God's done that for somebody here this morning. He's dealing with you. He's drawing you unto himself. He's showing you that you need Jesus. And Satan is going to put all kind of thoughts in your mind, and you are going to put all kind of thoughts in your mind that what's everybody going to think of me? And, and, and everybody thinks I'm already saved. Well, they're going to say when I come up and trust in Jesus. And, and what's my family going to think? And what's my friends going to think? Quit worrying about all that. Stop it. Stop it. Let me tell you why. Your family didn't die for you. Your friends didn't die for you. And anybody in this church that's got a problem with you trusting in Jesus, they've got the problem. They need to be the next one in the altar. See, when somebody trusts in Christ, let me tell you what we're going to do. We're going to do just what they do in heaven. The Bible says that they have a party in heaven over one sinner that rejoices. We're going to rejoice with you today. We're going to love you and we're going to welcome you in with open arms. If God the Holy Spirit's dealing with your heart, may today be the day that you trust in Him. If you already are saved and you're a part of this body of believers, you're part of the body of Christ, you've got that saving faith of the church. Let me ask you this. Are you working in the building? Are you doing what God's called you to do? Being what God's called you to be? What he saved you to be? If not, if not, maybe it's time that you say, Lord, whatever, whenever, however, I'm going to serve you. That's what he's wanting. That's what he's wanting. God, whatever you want me to do. Lord, if there's sin in my life I need to get rid of, I'm going to get rid of it. If I'm outside your will in any way, show me. Just like David said, search me and try me. And if there be any wicked way within me, Lord, show it to me so I can get it right. If that's you, why not today? Oh, listen, folks. God's good. He loves you. We love you. If I can pray with you in any way, I'd love to, but this invitation is for you. We're going to sing one of my favorite songs this morning. Nothing but the blood. That's what it takes. That's what changes everything. Brother, sing it for us.